What's up, guys? Welcome to the Strength Connection. I'm your host, Michael Kurkowski, and I'm here to connect you with the top minds in the world of strength to share stories, insights, and experiences to help you become stronger every day. So today, I have one of the true OGs in the world of fitness and business and personal training, Rick Mayo, founder of uh, founder and CEO of Alloy Personal Training and Alloy Franchises. So Rick has been one of the most successful people in the world of personal training. He's going to be celebrating 30 years coming up since he first built Alloy Personal Training, one of, if not the first fitness clubs specifically focused on personal training and group coaching. It's funny to think now, since there are so many different personal training programs, boutiques and brands out there, but Rick came from a time when it was brand new concept. And I got a chance to chat with him about his beginning roots and all the steps along the way to make Alloy one of the top franchises in fitness. Rick made a huge impact on me years ago when I first saw him speak at a conference after just beginning a career in management going from personal training and I had no idea what I was doing and I heard a story from Rick that hit me so hard and we kick off this episode with that specific story. So we had a blast recording this episode, so much great information specifically for young coaches as well as anyone looking to get stronger and make an impact in their life. So you can go check out Rick on Instagram at Coach Rick Mayo and Alloy Franchise, as well as AlloyFranchise.com, where him and his program director, Matt, have their own specific podcast, getting into the weeds of the business of fitness. So lastly, if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to subscribe so you can catch all new episodes every week and leave an awesome review. It does so much in helping us spread the message of strength. And I greatly appreciate your support. You guys are awesome. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'm going to see you on the inside. And we're back. Rick, thank you so much for taking the time. This is going to be great. Yeah, Mike. Thanks for having me. I look forward to it. Absolutely. As I, I was telling you before, um, you made a huge impact on me right as I got into management from like not even expecting it as much, but it was from a Perform Better Summit. I remember I was you know, maybe six months into a new position of managing a team in fitness, went from personal training into now I had a group of people that I was responsible for. And I think like every young manager, I had really no idea what the heck I was doing. And it's like trying to find that identity. And I heard you speak, and I, I think it might have been one of the first times you spoke at Perform Better. And you told a story about getting a haircut that just hit me so quickly on that. And it was like, after that, it's a great three-day weekend, but like right off the bat, like the best <laughs> stuff that I got was in the first like 10 minutes of going into that. Um, so first off, Thank you for that story. It made a huge impact on me. But second, so I don't paraphrase it. Would you mind telling a little bit of what that that story is? Sure. Yeah. And I, I used to use the story. I mean, I promise you, and you know, we talked obviously before we kicked off the podcast. I think I've told this story. Uh, it seems like millions of times. It mm -hmm. probably isn't because you think about it, maybe present 10 or 15 times a year. Mm -hmm. And so for a long, but it, it illustrates my point in why delivering a consistent customer experience is so important, right? It really is. And so the, the story is from the book, um, Good to Great by, uh, no, wait, it's from the E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. And in the book, um, you know, he talks about, he tells the story of someone that goes to get a haircut. So it's um, like, if we just scenario. So imagine you and I, Mike, we live in the same neighborhood and you're like, hey, there's a new barbershop that opened down the street for me. You should go try it. It's amazing. And of course, you know, I always say, well, we're guys, we're like, whatever, but it's convenient, you know, so I'll dip in there. Mm -hmm. um, so I go to this, you know, he goes to this brand new barbershop and um, 
you know, he goes in the place is immaculate, you know, super clean. It's amazing. There's someone at the desk, they greet him, which is great. Um, they, they introduce themselves. They, they point to the barber and say, he's busy right now, but as soon as he's free, I'll walk you over, you know, and then they ask if I would like a cup of coffee, you know, which is amazing. So, you know, then they give you a cup of coffee. And then once, um, you know, once the barber's finished with the patron before they walk him over and, and introduce and the barber sits him down and says, Hey, great to meet you. And they go back and forth. What kind of haircut are you looking for? He's like, well, listen, I just got back from a seminar. And we learned that if we cut your hair dry just with the scissors and don't use the clippers, it doesn't you know, tear the ends of your hair. It gives you a better haircut. And of course, the guy's like, OK, whatever, you know, just doesn't matter. Just let's just get this haircut. And then, it, you know, great conversation. And as he's getting his haircut, um, the person that greeted him at the desk comes around and freshens up his coffee, which is like, wow, that's really good service. Right. So he stands up. Hair looks amazing. He's walking out. And the person at the desk says, hey. Would you like to book in another 30 days from now, which is pretty much the cadence for most guys haircut. So he's like, yeah, absolutely. So he books in um, and he books next time he has to come on a Saturday. And as you guys know, they're listening. You know, all guys get their haircut on Saturdays. Any barbershop is absolutely jammed on a Saturday morning. <laughs> so he comes in. The place is cranking. Right. There's tons of people in the lobby. Um, the, the person at the desk gives him a quick greeting. Right. Um, you know, offers him a quick cup of coffee. You know, it's like, all right, great. So he gets his coffee. And then once his barber's finished up, he has to come up to the front. He's not really sure who's next. He doesn't really recognize this guy because he's been so busy. And the person that the that works the front is kind of in the back handling something else. And so he ushers him over to the chair, sits him down, grabs the clippers, shaves the back and the sides of his hair, and then cuts the top with scissors. And he's like, huh. You know, because remember what he told him the first time, right? And, um, you know, he's got his cup of coffee. Great. He doesn't get it freshened up like he did the first go around. No big deal. That was kind of above and beyond anyway. Right. So when the haircut's finished, he stands up and looks in the mirror. His hair looks exactly the same. So on his way out, you know, the person at the desk catches him again and says, hey, you want to book in another 30 days from now? He's like, yeah, sure. Whatever. So he comes back in 30 days. This time he walks in. The place is dead. It's the middle of the week. And the barber yells from the back, hey, so-and-so's out of town. Right. They're not working at the desk today. Um, we don't have any coffee made. Can I get, can you, you, can I get you a water? You want to grab something out of the freezer, or the fridge or whatever. And, and the guy says, nah, nah, no, nah, I'm fine. That's cool. So he's like, all right. So when he finishes, he, you know, waves him over, sits him down, sprays his hair with a spray bottle, wet, cuts it with the scissors, right? Again, different. And, you know, same thing, you know, no coffee this time, whatever he understands they're busy. And then when he's finished, he stands up, look, in the mirror hair looks exactly the same so this time because it's slow the barber walks him up to the front and says hey would you like in would you like to book in another 30 days from now and he says to the barber and he says in the book you know what i'll never go back there again and it has nothing to do with the haircut and the point that we that the reason that we tell that story so often is certainly in a personal training setting or coaching setting if all of your coaches aren't running the same play, even if the workout is equally good, because remember the haircut looked the same, right? If it's delivered a little bit differently, if the message is different, if the energy is different, if the music's different, whatever that may be, there's going to be a bit of a disconnect, right? And if there is, then that little bit of a disconnect in customer experience, even though the workout is still productive, is going to cause the customer to feel disconnected from whatever the service is. And they're more than likely not going to stay. And so we use that story to reiterate and we tell that to our team and, and mm -hmm. everyone else, because, listen, I, I want you to be empowered to make customers happy that are in front of you. 
but let's put some guardrails around that objective, right? And say, okay, we can do it, but let's do it in this way. Because if we just, you know, do something that's completely outside the boundaries of the system, um, then what we're doing is sort of screwing the pooch, right? For the rest of the team, mm-hmm. meaning that it's going to be a different, you know, a different type of experience. And then we're going to lose that customer. And I always would give great examples. Like, um, you know, we might have a coach that coaches Monday mornings and, you know, most groups, as you know, of, of clients or customers, they come at the same time. So it's habit forming. It's good for them as well. So let's say that we have clients and customers that come Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 6 a.m., you know, to book in their workouts. And so on Monday, there's a coach and, you know, literally this has happened. We use this example from our own facility where there was a, a, a coach coaching. And at the end, you know, he said, all right, guys, last round of this, it was a metabolic finisher. And it's like, all right, let's try to get 20 reps of everything on the last round. Everyone's like, well, you know, whatever. And so, you know, execute that. No harm, no foul, right? No big deal. Just trying to like motivate people. I just figured he'd throw something extra in there. The problem arises on Wednesday then when that same crowd that comes in Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 6 a.m. is working out with a different coach on Wednesday morning, right? And then they get to that same maybe part of the workout as an example. And the the customers then say to the coach, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Aren't you going to ask us to do a certain amount of reps? Because that's what Mike said to do on Monday, right? And there you have it. There's the disconnect. It's literally could be a very similar program coached in a similar way and you lose the clients at the end with just one small detail. And so mm-hmm. the devil's in the details as, as with anything, certainly in mm-hmm. business. And really the whole key is we're just trying to create a really consistent customer experience and mm-hmm. things that small that seems so harmless, right. Can really start to drive a wedge between you and your customers as far as like a disconnect with the, with the customer experience. And if so, mm-hmm you're more than likely going to lose them because how does that manifest itself when you get this? Then they have a favorite coach because this person always knows that I like to do this one special exercise. Well, we have systems built in for that. So literally right. in, the, in the franchise system mm-hmm. we're in now, we have an app that communicates to all the coaches in sort of a tile format for everybody they're training. It would say, here's Mike, here's his do's and his don'ts. You know, Here's mm-hmm. things he wants to do. And if it says that, Yes, you have high cholesterol and you need to lose weight, but you also like to work your arms every workout. Those are the things that make personal training special. Mm -hmm. Everyone should be executing that every single workout because Mm -hmm. if they're not, it's going to be a disconnect and they're going to pick favorites. It's going to seem like a lesser service if the new coach is coaching them as Mm -hmm. opposed to the the veteran coach, right? So you can imagine in a business, that's just one example. How many small examples like that, right? Right. We have the uh, seven core tenets of a great session. And we have to run them every time. And that's our grading system that we sort of secret shop, if you will, our coaches through our clients. Mm-hmm. Are these things happening? And it's things like the name game. Like you you have to be addressed, you know, greeted by name mm-hmm. within 10 seconds of entering the facility, period. And when we're grading our trainer secret shopping, we're like, did it happen? Yes or no, right? Because again, mm-hmm. if it happens sometimes, it doesn't happen other times. It's like, what are we doing? Like right. every time, right? So anyway, I could go on for forever mm-hmm. and ever about this, obviously. But yeah, that's what the story was for. And that's why we tell it ad nauseum is because, listen, really hard for people to stick with systems. And the whys behind why they do need to stick with systems are super important. Yeah, I think it's it's just such an interesting uh, story to hear just from it's that cliche of nobody nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care at the same time too. It's like, and so, so many times we think of 
even like clients, I think, and people who are in the business, who are trying to invest in coaches or in fitness programs, we still think like it's, it's about the fitness program. It's about, I want to do X, Y, Z exercise and get there. But in reality, like we don't even realize that it's those little intangibles of making somebody feel special, making somebody feel seen and heard. I talked with Brett Jones last week about that, of being just people want to be seen and heard first before getting into all the details behind every different exercise possible. And then if they see it from another team member who has the same continuity and they know what they like, even if they haven't worked with them before, they know, you know, what the program is about. They know about that person. That's just, it's like, it's such a huge separator from the people that are super successful in this business and the ones that consistently are struggling and trying to, you know, get that next level up. Yeah, hundred percent. We always describe that as like, there's things that you put around the workout. It's almost like through our lens anyway, like just having a good solid program that doesn't hurt people that moves them towards moving better, looking better, you know, living life to the fullest, that kind of idea that almost just, that's just the barrier of entry that just gives you license to even be in business. That's almost a given through my lens. It's all the things that you put around that amazing program that make it come to life like the name game and explaining to each client what the benefit of, of this particular movement is through their lens, right? Like you might have, you know, it's, we all you know have the same influences. So if you're talking to someone like a Mike Boyle, who's a great strength coach, right? It's like, all right, you're doing a lateral ball toss against the wall. It's like, okay, if you play tennis, this is great for tennis. If you golf, this is great for golf. You know, if you're trying to lose weight, this is great for your love handles, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you speak their language and you speak the benefits of the movements to them through their lens knowing all the while that certain movements like that, as an example, have a lot of benefits, right? It can benefit mm -hmm. almost anyone depending on their goals. So the, the, the sort of art of it is, is being able to communicate it to people through their lens and why it's important to them. Right. Yeah. And I know this is so much stuff. I mean, this is going to be now, I believe, 30 years that you're going to be celebrating an anniversary of Alloy. Is that right? <laughs> so crazy. Yeah. Congra it is. Congratulations. I'm sitting <laughs> in the exact same retail location. Yeah. That I was 30 years ago. It's nuts. Oh man, that is, I mean, that's just a, um, that's just a victory in itself right there. But, you know, if we could, if we could take it back to you, Rick, a little bit, because I believe in 92, that was when, you know, you kind of had this idea of being a specific club focused just on personal training, which back then I know was a, you know, unknown concept of getting in. It was either a big box gym or you were a private personal trainer. So can you take us into that story a little bit of what was it that made you get into this idea of like, maybe I could build a club focus solely on the personal training experience? Sure. I mean, it was exactly what you said. It was like mm -hmm. you had big box gyms and some of those would have like exercise physiologists where they would be doing things like blood pressure or the Harvard step test and more wellness-based programs. And those were the more advanced, like more high-end health clubs, if you will. Um, and then at those clubs, when I first started, it was before 92. So I mean, you know, going in and saying, do you guys have any personal trainers? And literally, can, can you imagine this now? Jim's saying, what is that? Like, what does that even do? And then I would have to explain like, well, here's what a personal trainer does. Would you mind if I did it here? And they're like, well, I guess it was just like, it was almost like, right. well, are you a member? I'm like, <laughs> sure, yeah, just don't, right, bother right, don't, <laughs> don't bother me. Don't, don't bother me. 100%. Right. So it's like, all right, do whatever you want. So I can literally remember putting like a sign up sheet. There was like a, a table in the middle of this big health club. Um, and they, and they had a, like where you would put your workout cards, right? Cause nothing was digital. There's like no internet back then, which mm -hmm. is so weird to think of now, but, um, in putting a, like a literal physical sign up sheet, like if you're interested in one free personal training session, give me your name and phone number. 
which you can imagine now, like just for security purposes, like can you imagine like some attractive female writing down her name and phone number on a piece mm-hmm. of paper in the middle of a gym? I'm like, no shot that would ever happen. <laughs> you know, it's like, but back then, I don't know. I don't know. It was just a different times. And so it was like no big deal. And I would go through the list and call people and say, Hey, I'm a personal trainer. And uh, what do you do? And, you know, it was almost literally had to explain kind of what you did. And so I was, I was in college. So I was paying my way through school. So I was bouncing around doing home in-home sessions, working at a couple different health clubs, just cobbling together a pretty decent living actually. Um, but doing it, you know, just traveling a good deal around mm-hmm. town. I know a lot of people still do those in-home sessions and whatnot, but I can tell you, it's a lot nicer just to have one home base, right. Where you bring people. And so I thought, well, First of all, it would be nice for me not to have to run around town. So selfishly, this would help me and I could train more people and help more people. And then second, it would be a really interesting concept to put like four walls and a customer experience around this service of personal training, which was really new to certainly to our market. And so, yeah, that that was the birth of it. And we came in on a shoestring budget and um, I think we had literally like a local manufacturer build our equipment. It turned out to be super solid. Um, And back then, listen, it wasn't functional training was, was kind of a thing. But mainly it was just machine based and more bodybuilding style workouts, mm-hmm. but it worked. It got people moving and got them in shape. And uh, yeah, I mean, that was it. 1992, we opened and there could have been other personal training places, certainly in our city or I'm sure in New York and out west. But for the most part, I didn't know of any. So to me, I was the first ever to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. So just yeah. there was yeah, no one talked. No one was talking about it again. There was no Internet. So it's like, well- how do you know? What was the reaction to it right away? Was it a, was it a big success right off the bat or was it, was there some times of trying to really build it up because it was such a new concept? Um, well, you know, if you think about it, I had an existing clientele that I just brought into okay. the business and then I had friends that were in the industry that were also like me. And so of course that, you know, we wouldn't recommend this now, but we just bring them in. I would collect the money and then I would pay them a, a relatively high percentage of that so that they could have a home base and then, of course, we're all sort of marketing out of this now one business. So it made it easier to acquire new customers as well. So that was it. It was just me and some gym buddies, right, that I recruited in. I think we had five people working there in addition mm-hmm. to me. And I was still training like all the time, you know, on the floor. So okay. like the other guys covered the rent and the other expenses with a little bit of profit. And then it was basically like I was I was only collecting really on the work that I did. I still had a job, if you will. Right. Gotcha. But that's that's how it started. And it was all one on one training. And, you know, some consumers would call and wonder, like, what is it that you do? But we're in a real high end area. We're right on. the, You know, you can open our back door and hear people teeing off a golf course. And so mm-hmm. certainly people had the financial wherewithal to pay for it. It was just a bit of, a, of an obstacle to explain what a personal trainer does, why there's value in it. Right. And then, um, you know, to charge people uh, back then, I think we we're doing packages of sessions and just kind of yep. all the old school things that everyone did. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it was really about five of you guys kind of all kind of doing your own thing within one space from there. So how long was it until you started getting into more of a model of we, I need a more like uniform approach if you want to keep moving this forward? Yeah. I mean, everyone will say like pain's a great teacher, right? So mm-hmm. in 98, so you know, in 92, we opened and then by 1998, we had expanded. We were only in 1,500 square feet and then we went to 3,000. So out of 3,000 square feet, you know, we were doing a million bucks a year, which is $83,000 a month in training, which is great. But at that point, I had a bunch of coaches and all the coaches were specialists, you know, and they were, you know, I had the person that was good for, you know, fitness folks and people that were good with athletes. And this person was good with old people. And this person was good with like women. And you know, it was just silly the way that we put this together. And then we would sell these coaches as, okay, if this is your goal. You need to work with this person mm-hmm. still contracted. So they were basically to the letter of the law, self-employed, 
And what would happen, and a lot of people realize this now, is they were building a business within my business at the at the expense of me and my relationship with the clients. You know, I had all the risk. I had the lease. I had the equipment. I had everything. And they were just in there building a business. And so, as you can imagine, I think the story's been told so many times over, not just from me, but from others, where a couple of guys, a couple of my really busy coaches looked at each other and thought, well, this is not, you know, Rick's not that smart. We should do, we could do this, right? And in hindsight, I'm like, oh, I don't really blame them. <laughs> it was probably, probably a good oh, okay. move. Mm-hmm. Um, it's harder than it looks, but at the same time, you know, so these two guys left and they held about 35% of my overall revenue. And then without great leadership, I had another coach that was working in that was married, that was having an affair with a non-married coach. Mm. Of course, that never ends up in a good spot. That blew up. And in a really short period of time, probably within six months, the whole thing just came unraveled. And I'm like married with a kid and mortgage and like, you know, I'm all in like a regular life now. Right. Um, And I'm the smartest guy in the world. And then all of a sudden this big hiccup happens and it nearly runs me out of business. I mean, it went from 83 grand a month down to, you know, 12,000 a month. So it's like, ooh. And, you know, I wasn't living a lavish lifestyle, but that's, a, if anything, a huge bruise to your ego. Mm-hmm. And so it was that particular event, Mike, that, that made us look at things and say, okay, forget this. Like we, need to, like, we can make a run of this. I want to be able to wear sweatpants to work for the rest of my life. So mm-hmm. I need to figure out how to do a better business. And then, you know, I talked to some other good business leaders. And when you describe, when I would describe what our challenges were, what I quickly learned is those challenges weren't unique to my business. These were the same things happening in everyone else's business. So what it told me was it's not that I'm in an opportunity vehicle that isn't good. Like, you know, cause the, your knee jerk is, well, I guess I have to get a real job now. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, no, 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 no. I can fix this. This is no different than any other business. And if I don't fix it and I simply move to a different business model, I'm going to have the same problems over and over again because I never learned how to fix the problem in the first place, right? Right. So we pulled up our bootstraps. Then we started to systemize everything. Mm-hmm. And it was a result, again, of just pain. So it was like, okay, we're going to handle all. And we started with the easy stuff, the training itself. Like, how do we train clients? If a client comes in and they have this goal and these movement discrepancies or whatever, how do they get to our programs? And then mm-hmm. we'll control the programs and the induction process. And then that led to sales systems and literally everything, how we say hello, goodbye, you know, everything scripted out into a systematic approach. Took Mm -hmm. us a couple of years to get back on our feet, but um, yeah, we never looked back. And what ended up almost sinking us, the systematic approach that we took to build back ended up being the impetus for a licensing business, which eventually is now a full on franchise. So if I look back on it, it was like the greatest thing that ever happened to me when at the time, right? <laughs> pretty horrible at the time, right? Almost yeah. sunk me. Yeah. Well, it's interesting how, it, I mean, those times come for all of us, right? When it's this woe is me and you think like you're so isolated and does this happen to anybody else at all? When in reality, there's really always somebody that has probably gone through this before. And the the word you said there, which is systems, right? It's like just finding the right systems that you need to do to put into place. So essentially, it seems like you went from having a really great business, being a good coach and kind of living a good life to now, okay, I need to become a business person and really understand these things from the inside out and really build it up from there. Yeah. And if you think about just systemizing your approach, it allowed me to do so many different things. Now I could even hire different people. I didn't have to find that unicorn that had an exercise science degree that was a specialist in a certain area, Mm -hmm. also a team player, friendly to be around, you know, like all of these things that were really difficult to find. Um, And of course, those people then would bring also some challenges with them because they have these preconceived notions about what's best. And I was like, nope. So when we systemize everything, I could then do what we now would describe as 
hire the athlete, train the skill. And in our case, the athlete is looks the part, great with people, you know, can kind of bartend, so they can kind of bounce around from client to client, make everyone feel special. If I can find that person, everything else is done, right? Mm-hmm. So if you if you look at how that's manifested these days in our franchise, it's like I have an app. The app has tiles on the screen. The tiles literally represent each person. So it's like here's here's Mike, here's Rick, you know, this is their level of fitness, this is their do's and their don'ts. And then here's the program. And so you just toggle back and forth on the iPad and you literally just connect dots. So I can take really highly technical, you know, strength conditioning programs from the highest level from our same influences, right? And then dumb it down, if you will, so that it works for the average adults. And then I can hire just a really fun, outgoing, attractive person that can stand on the floor and make folks happy. And they can connect all the dots and deliver like the best consistent, you know, highly technical program in a way that's super scalable and easy for everyone. Yeah. I think it was, um, it's, I believe it's Danny Meyer, the, uh, the restaurant entrepreneur. He has a great book called setting the table, um, about building his restaurants in New York and everywhere else. And he calls it enlightened hospitality and uh, hiring people who are 51 percenters who said, I need 51% of personality, energy, and excitement the other 49% is the technical skills and putting together the specific pieces. He's like, I can teach you all that stuff, but it needs to be 51% on the personality. 100%. I could not agree more. And I mean, speaking of servers, as an example, you know, I can think of many cases where like my wife and I would be out to eat. Our server would just be this super dynamic, you know, quick wit, like, mm-hmm. you know, again, just all these things looks the part, like mm-hmm. great service this well-spoken and I'm like, man, this person would make an amazing coach. And, you know, I mean, there's been times when you say, Hey, you know, are you interested in, are you ever interested in getting into personal training? And, you know, it's, you can make a career, the way that we run our business and the, the fact that we do shifts and things like that. Now it's a almost guaranteed money, right. For these coaches. So it's so different than maybe what personal training was when you've got a job at a gym and had to go out and just, you know, you only eat what you kill here. It's like, well, I'll just put you on a shift and you're going to get guaranteed pay. And so it's a much more lucrative and, you know, attractive proposition to someone like that. So we've been able to recruit all kinds of folks that in our other old tired business model that, you know, that nearly sank us, they would never have worked, but in this one, they work out just great. So it just opens up uh, so many more possibilities again, for, for recruiting talent for your business. So you started and it was all one-on-one based personal training. And then you moved into a model, which was more semi-private kind of small group uh, base training at a moment. Like when was it when you realized like you wanted to make that pivot from more one-on-one into the small group? Yeah, it was pretty organic in the sense that, and anybody listening to this, that's a coach understands this. We would have maybe someone working out regularly and they would say, Hey, can I bring a friend? Happens all the time. Or can I bring my spouse? Mm -hmm. It's like, sure. So each person would pay maybe a little bit less, right? But the hour would be worth more for the Mm -hmm. gym. We could typically pay the coach a little bit better margin, right? And then the gym would actually make more money. So I'm like, and the clients were having more fun. And then we could actually establish a better personal boundary between coach and client, right? Because now the sort of the social interaction was, was propped up from the clients themselves. And so, you know, it's kind of that fun sport that you certainly know, Mike, where it's like, you know, you're the coach, they're the customers, you know, and you kind of bust each other's chops back and forth. And that was much clearer when there was more than one person in the session. So we mm-hmm. looked at that and it was starting to happen more and more often. And I'm like, you know, and then it was like, hey, can we bring a third friend from our neighborhood? I'm like, sure. And so as that started to develop, it was like, well, there must be something here, right? The clients pay less. The coaches can make more. The gym can make a better margin. 
this is where it's at and we can actually help more people, which is kind of why we got into the business in the first place. Right. So we decided it was probably two years or so after the early 2000s that we that we moved all of our one on one training to what we call small group personal training. Mm-hmm. Now, at that time, we were absolutely crushing it, too. So imagine taking a business that's making really high revenue and we're doing three thousand one on one sessions a month. And you're like, all right, well, let's just change all of this to something completely different. But we thought it could, you know, because then one-on-one training was a thing. Like there were other personal training gyms popping up. You know, there was lots of personal trainers mm-hmm. working in big gym settings. The gyms were now starting to own it as, a, you know, in, using uh, an employment structure that worked. And so it's a little more organized, right? So the whole industry had leveled mm-hmm. up a bit. So it's like, all right, well, this will be a good differentiator for us because now we can offer a very similar service that incorporates the fun group dynamic of putting people into groups, but it also still delivers on the brand promise of personal training, right? We can still make it all about them. And then we can come in at a, at a good value proposition to the customer who's looking for training. You know, in our market, it might be $80 an hour for personal training. And even in our franchise structure, we can do that for less than $30 a session because you're willing to share your time with some other people, right? You just right. have to have the technology and the systems in place to, to be able to deliver on the brand promise of personal training in a group setting. But if you can do it, it's a fantastic service. It was, it's a thing that I always tell every coach right now that's doing one-on-one training, like, what should I do to grow my business? I'm like, go to small group. Cause literally mm-hmm. it's like, you can charge the market rate for what, for what most people charge for 30 minute one-on-one training. Mm-hmm. So right now, a lot of people go to that because they're like, all right, well, I charge $60 an hour. I can't charge a hundred, but I could get mm-hmm. 50 for half an hour. And then they move to that business model. I'm like, all right, well, what if you could keep that same rate but you could offer your clients more in the, in the sense that you could offer them more training. Like now you can do a dynamic warm-up and they can do maybe a few little correctives that are specific to them and they can do some fun things at the end, right? You don't have to do this sell at the yeah. time window. You can just sell a program and that's more personal anyway, as far as I'm yeah. concerned. And so that was the value proposition. So we moved all of those folks over to this small group setting. And that's mm-hmm. what I recommend to every coach. If, you, if you're doing 30 minute you know, one-on-ones and you're doing two sessions an hour, you can literally double your income if you can get that even just four an hour. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, so why would you, know, you not, right? Yeah. I and mean, I think also it's just, it's almost that forbidden or um, not forbid, but kind of like that lost, um, you know, art of connection that a lot of us kind of didn't realize we took for granted so much of just being around other people. And, you know, specifically in these last couple of years when the pandemic hit and all of a sudden everybody who went from, just seeing people to all of a sudden being isolated. And I know so many people had to make shifts and transitions to get in, but just the, that feeling of just working out, just close to other people. It, there is a, a little bit different of that internal motivation that comes out, you know, just from seeing other people who have that familiarity, you know, kind of like going back to the story when, um, you know, when your business was going down, it's like, you feel sometimes like you're the only person that has this issue. It's the only one that needs to lose weight or needs to get back in shape. When in reality, you realize that there's so many different people around who are bat- fighting the same battles as you. So just getting in, it's even such a higher value to the client that it's not like it's, I, that was one of the things when I worked at a big box gym that everybody was nervous about was like, Oh, like, is it, you know, people think like, oh, like they're just going to pay less money. So that's the big value. It's like, no, they're getting more from it because now they're getting more time with the trainer. Now they're actually being around more like-minded people. So it's going to keep them even more engaged from there. But the question I would ask you, Rick, is um, because I know looking back now, you can see it was such a good idea to go into that model, but I'm sure there must've been a little bit of hesitation because you guys were crushing it at that time to just move. What was that kind of thought process like? Was it kind of a lot of back and forth or was it just, no, we need to make a transition? 
Yeah, I think that there was enough empirical evidence from the clients we had that were doing it organically. We know we liked it. The coaches liked it. Everyone liked coaching it better because, again, there was more professional boundaries. You didn't have to carry the conversation. And, you know, again, it's a little bit easier. Like You think about like a, a real coach in your life. If anyone listening has played sports, which a lot of people in our industry have done something, mm-hmm. played competitive sports, you know, your, your best coach ever wasn't like your best friend, right? That you could confide in them about how bad your day was and blah, blah, blah. It was someone that made you like a little bit nervous when you saw them, right? You're like, ah, like, you know, you wanted to (laughs) perform well, right? Like I can remember having coaches that I was like scared to death of, but that really got the most out of me. And I knew that they cared about me, right? But they were also pushing me. And so it was like, I was on a team and I was like, you know, like working for the guys next to me, of course, but really I wanted to, to make my coach proud. And so, that whole coach client relationship is so different in a small group setting than it is in a one-on-one setting. It's just completely different type of relationship. And I I don't dislike one-on-one training. I really don't. Everyone's like, Oh, you know, I do one-on-one, you know, why do you not like it? I'm like, I don't not like it. I don't like the business model period. I don't, Mm -hmm. I think the clients have more fun. They pay less, which means I can help more people in any given market, especially if you're brick and mortar, you're only going to draw from a certain radius. So how do I help as many people that want to pay for personal training as I can? Well, I can put them into the small group setting. And I think for the coach, I mean, you look at the structure, the way that we run it, the coach has a better barrier. So it's not like you're, I can distinctly remember, you know, admitting now that as a one-on-one trainer, you know, when I'm starting my morning at 6 a.m. and I know I've got this one person coming in, it could be, they're not coming in until 7 p.m. My day is already ruined because I'm like, oh, this person's just such a drag on my energy. (laughs) You put that person in a group of six, it's like they just get diluted, right? And they, they just sort of pick up the energy of the group. And mm-hmm. so if that's not your culture, if they are that person, A, they stick out like a sore thumb and they don't fit in. But typically what they'll do is just come along with everyone else. And, you know, they won't complain as much. And if they do, it's just sort of, you know, again, it's things that are just within the, the construct of, mm-hmm. you know, people working out with a coach and the fun banter again, that goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that, there's the professional boundaries, which just allow coaches to protect themselves a little bit. Right. right. Like you're still out there having a great time. You're still texting people later. Like, ah, oh, Mike, you did a great job today. You know, I'm so proud of you. You did five more pushups than you've ever done. Right. We still do those personal training things, but when it's going down, it's not like you've got this one person there in front of you that you have to entertain for an hour. Right. And right. we also aren't, selling, I mean, we're, we're booking things on the hour, but we're not selling a, a time slot, which I never, I don't know why in hindsight, why we ever did that. Like, why would we sell 30 minutes or an hour? If you think about the way that you personally work out, you don't go to the gym and say, okay, here's the things I'm going to accomplish today. But if I get to 30 minutes and I'm not finished, I just have to quit. Like, that's all I'm going to do. Like you don't do that. Right. Sometimes it's 35 minutes. Sometimes it's 28, whatever. Right. And then conversely, like if you finish in 45 minutes, you're not going to like do filler stuff to get to an hour because I have to work out for an hour. Today, oh, right. right. It doesn't make any sense. So like the way our sessions are structured now, they range like people say, how long are your sessions? I'm like, we book them on the hour, but they range in time from 45 to 50 minutes or 40 to 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. Just depends. Right. Some like one of the customers, one of your clients might be really tired in that group that day and they're a raw beginner. So you're going to give them more rest. And someone like you comes in, you're well rested. Mm -hmm. You've been hitting the gym three days a week for a long time and I'm going to push you really hard. Right. And Mm -hmm. so the beginner may be in and out of the gym in 40 minutes because that's all the volume they can handle. It might take you 52 minutes because you're doing more sets and reps and heavy weight and taking more rep, whatever those things are. Right. So it's, we always describe it as like each customer or clients having their own experience within that experience of those six. Right. Yes. And we can deliver that with technology. So that's really the key to making it personal. But when you look at the construct, it's like, okay, 
now the coach has like 10 minutes of breathing time between every session. So it's much more relaxed. There's more of a professional boundary, first of all. Mm-hmm. So it's not like people are, you know, you're not taking on the weight of everyone's problems per se. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And this has not been at the expense of retention or relationships or anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a matter of fact, it's probably helped if anything. And then coaches have that 10 minute barrier where, Oh, you get a chance to run to the, to the restroom or, grab a snack or like, mm-hmm. I don't know, kiss slapbacks and kiss babies. I mean, it's just a right. much more relaxed space. So a coach can do a six hour shift and it's not like everyone's that's listening. That's coached a six hour shift in one-on-one training. It's like, it is to the minute, right? Like is this one person strikes yeah. up a, a really a in-depth conversation at minute 28 and you're panicked because the lady on the treadmill is like staring at you and tapping her mm-hmm. watch. Like, let's go. It's my time now, you know, and you're yeah. like trying to finish a conversation with someone. It's very stressful. So oh, a lot of that goes away. So it becomes a much more relaxed pace. So it's better for the coach, less expensive and better for the client. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, just better all the way around really. But it's really hard. Like we've taken it through our licensing business before we went franchising, we did licensing, which is sometimes a confusing mm-hmm. term because sometimes that's interchangeable, but just think about powering someone else's business in a white labeled format. It's kind of what we were doing. Right. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we would go into gyms and there'd be, you know, 25 gyms and each gym had 10 coaches. You're, you're basically teaching 250 coaches, right. That you're going to go right. in this direction. Well, that's no small feat because all of them are doing their own thing and they're mostly doing one-on-one and you're saying, all right, we're going to move in this direction. And the big pushback is, well, my clients, everyone thinks clients are different, right? It's kind of like my market, <laughs> like whatever. Like, I mean, that's what I loved about being in places like Cyprus and Tasmania and India and Dubai. And it's uh-huh. like, yeah. listen, if it works in Tasmania, I'm pretty sure it's going to be fine in Kansas City. Right. It's not that much different, right? <laughs> but like, my market's totally different. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. So Cyprus is not different, but yours is different because you're in Nebraska. I don't think so, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we would always tease about that, but it's so true. And so mm-hmm. um, I think just over time, you know, being able to, to, coach so many gyms through it. I will say it's not easy for people to, to let go of, of one-on-one training, but I will tell you that it's typically more in the mind of the coach than it is in the client. So clients just want to be with you. They trust you. They want to come alongside you. They don't really care how you're delivering the service, right? Like we, cause people ask us now, like, well, when people come into the gym and you, you sell personal training, are they like, well, is this in a one-on-one setting? I'm like, I can't remember ever a new customer coming in and asking how we deliver our service. Exactly. I just don't. Yeah. They have a goal in mind. They they're coming in because we have a process or you know a, a promise to deliver on you know this goal. They don't care how they get there, yeah. right? They just want to mm-hmm. get there. So it's like that never comes up. And so a lot of that trash, that head trash is just stuff that trainers build up. And mm-hmm. they're the ones that have a hard time moving from, yeah. from one-on-one to, to small group. Yeah. I always used to laugh with the timing of training. It's like an exact one hour training program has to be exactly one. Hour. I used to joke. It was like when we we're kids, like in third grade, when you have to write 200 words. to so the last one, I think this is very, 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 very good. It's like just to get to all those words. It's like the same exact thing when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, everybody listening that's done those type of sessions, you know, you finish with someone in 42 minutes. It's like, Oh my God, 18 minutes. And then, then you end up doing some partner stretching and just some feel good stuff. And that's fine, you know, but it's like, all right, well, you're just doing filler. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the 30 minute client, heaven forbid they show up five minutes late. It's like, you're stressed to the max to try to squeeze everything in. You got to shave some sets mm-hmm. off and there's no dynamic warm because they're supposed to do it on their own. But they said, Oh, my seat heaters are on. I'm ready. You know, and you're just mm-hmm. like, Oh, so a lot of those like coaching choke points go away in this structure as well. So better for right. the coach, 
less expensive for the members, more fun for the members. So it's like, I don't know, it's a win-win all the way around. And all I can say is if you're not doing it and you doubt it, you just have to look to those that are like, again, it's just kind of a, in any mm-hmm. kind of business endeavor, just look to get advice from people who are doing what you want to be doing. Right. Yeah. And you can just trust that like, well, we've been through it. And we took 3000 sessions a month from one-on-one to small group. Was it easy? No. Did everyone love the change? No. Was it worth it? Yes. 100%. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think the thing that a lot of times we forget about, and this is even for people who are looking to hire a coach or looking to get into a fitness program. It's like a lot of times something that one-on-one type feeling it can almost like unconsciously be enabling that person. If you're just following a step-by-step program from somebody else telling you what to do every step of the way, you're not actually learning anything too. So in a, in a small group setting where you're not just constantly eyes on you, where you do have to engage and focus on what you're doing yourself, you're actually learning more in the process too. So you're being a lot more empowered. You're getting a lot more, you know, self-focused from it. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people like recognize that they want in programs because that like, I just want somebody to give me a program, tell me what to do. It's like, but in our mind, it's like, wouldn't you like to know how to do this so you can consistently do this forever. And that was one thing I saw from going from more one-on-one into small group or more even kind of distance coaching is like help people be more individualized and almost as coaches, if we become more obsolete, like, and actually teach people a lot of times, I think we're scared that people, the retention is going to go down because if we teach them. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, and, and I can just it, right? speak to that because mm-hmm. that was our yeah. big fear. hundred percent. What you said is that if we leave one-on-one training, because I mean, imagine the service where you fetch the towel and, you know, someone's going to do, say someone's doing something as simple as like a floor press or a dumbbell bench press. Well, you're going to run and get the weights and set them on their legs, help them lie down. And all these little things that we thought made personal training, personal training, it was really in hindsight, just pampering. Right. And you were just creating these enabled people that what, what we didn't realize until later is when we did that, we weren't empowering them to do anything else on their own. Like if you can literally not even get your own, dumbbells for your next set of an exercise, you probably aren't well suited to make a good choice for lunch then later today. And I know it sounds like I'm I'm reaching, but I'm not. And so our biggest fear was that we would lose some of that one-on-one connection. And that's literally what people were paying for. And what we found out was completely opposite. So surprisingly, our results from our clients, our success story skyrocketed when we got them into a different setting, because, you know, I can distinctly remember when I tell stories, stories about, you know, looking at a client that we've been training in a one-on-one setting for eight years and saying, Hey, go grab a 16 K kettlebell. You know, and they look at you like, you know, like me, I'm like, yes, you (laughs) you. (laughs) go over there and it's the green one, go over there and grab it. Right. It's not going to bite you first of all. And secondly, you might burn a calorie too when you're headed over there. So go get it. And then what we found is something just as simple as like, I can fetch my own weights or whatever, or put my own things away. I mean, just silly things that would build enough self-efficacy to start putting other things in their life together, which as we all know, listening, you can't just go to the gym twice a week. You've got to, you've got to move more. You've got to make some decent, healthy, you know, nutritional choices over time. It's not rocket science, but it's just consistency. And so the exact opposite of what we feared is what manifested itself, which was people were owning their fitness more. They were doing more things outside the gym to be successful. And so it was just a really a win-win all the way around. Yeah. And that was something that we were really nervous about as well. So if anyone listening is like, oh, I'd never want to move from one-on-one mm-hmm. because of that, it's like it, the complete opposite is what will happen. 
Yeah, I think it's such a huge point that you just brought up there that I think is so, you know, vital. And then you can kind of make a joke about it with people too. It's like when they say like weights, it's like, yeah, I already worked out today. You can grab your own weight. You know, it's like, just right. make it, make it kind of fun. Well, like a joke. The, that goes back to like, you can't do that in a one-on-one setting, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, Hey, will you get me a towel? You're not going to be like, screw you, get your own towel. You yeah. know, ha ha ha. It's just, it's weird. It's awkward. It's like, of course I can. Cause I'm on your time. I got nothing else to do, but whatever exactly. you want me to. So let me go fetch your towel. Whereas in a group mm-hmm. setting, you're like, no, get your own towel. Like you might burn a calorie on your way up there. And then they go, oh, whatever. And you're like, yeah, whatever. You know, and it's like <laughs> that, that fun banter and up comes this, again, this professional boundary coach client, you know, yes. it's like, it's like an old, like little kids football practice where you're like, all right, Hey, give me 10 pushups, go all the way down. And if it's that sort of class clown client that you have, you turn around and they're faking a few mm-hmm. and the other clients are laughing and you turn back and catch them. And you're like, seriously, is this what we're doing today? Yeah. And, and, you know, that's part of the fun banter, right? Yeah. And the sport of, of training in a group setting. Um, but those things really end up helping the customer much more than, than you can imagine. And it creates, again, it just creates a super healthy boundary for the coach as well. Right. Yeah. So now you're, I mean, a major, major thing. I don't know how long have you been getting into franchising now? Because I know that's the main focus that Alloy is doing. Yeah. I mean, listen, we picked a, an odd year, but who mm-hmm. could have foreseen this this wackiness that we've been through? But we really started franchising right at the start of 2020 or right at okay. the end of 2019 going into 2020. And, um, you know, we, we awarded eight territories, which are like individual locations mm-hmm. right out of the gate. And I was like, man, this is going to be so easy, like candy from a baby. Right. And then of course COVID hit and there mm-hmm. were States where fitness was unfairly targeted. You couldn't be open at all. And of course, investors, you know, franchising is different than licensing. Our, our target market was people mm-hmm. that already owned facilities that we could help. Right. Uh, franchising is people looking for investment opportunities. And so it's a completely different market. You're talking to different types of individuals. So as an investor for a franchise, fitness didn't look great in 2020, you have to mm-hmm. say, even though people might like the business model of fitness or whatnot. I mean, there were other businesses that were just exploding like HVAC or home remodeling or these other businesses that were benefiting from the pandemic mm-hmm. is where a lot of, of investors were looking. And so you know, that as the veil sort of lifted early 2021, we kicked it off again. So we've got 35 sold, which is great. So we've got awesome. territories out there and we're opening now. You know, we've got a lot more coming in the next six months or so that are finally opening and they're validating really well. Pre-sales are great and everything. But yeah, coming off of licensing and moving to franchising, the main reason we did that was a couple of reasons. I mean, selfishly, it, you know, it's a better opportunity vehicle mm-hmm. for us because just, you know, loaning out IP or, to people is one thing, but there's not a lot of value in that. There's a lot of con- consulting and stuff that went around that as well, which takes like a really niche, you know, type of of, uh, of mm-hmm. business to do that. And that's hard to scale, you know, to sell to someone else right. who could do it. So there's not as much value there. Um, and then it's also just a better vehicle for our customers as well. So like for franchisees, if we could put together a software bundle, lead follow-up program, automation, like all of these things, just bolt it all together and just deliver it in a turnkey package. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a much better vehicle for success for, for the people that we're working with as well. So better for us, mm-hmm. better for them as well. Yeah. So when you were building this system of franchise, I mean, obviously the timing of things with the pandemic and stuff like that, putting that aside, you know, with it and just focusing on the product, you know, one of the things that's always interesting in this business of personal training is, I mean, the words right in there, a lot of people think it's hard to scale something like personal training because it requires so much on the individual and stuff like that. So what were some of like the key systems that you really focused on building 
to make sure that you can launch this. And, you know, not only it's a successful way monetarily, but that it still holds the strong brand that you built over all these years. Yeah, I think it's really everything. So it starts out with like, who's our customer, right? So we all know personal training tends to be more expensive, you know, and if you look at different segments of fitness, there's regular fitness, like you talked about, like a, a general fitness club where you pay a membership and then they might have personal training that you pay on top of that. Um, and that's, you know, again, within that general fitness segment of fitness, there's like the low cost guys, like a planet, which is $9 a month in some cases, all the way up to like a lifetime fitness, which might be 69 or 99. You've got basketball courts and pools and all that. So that's one segment. Now you could then look at what we call boutique fitness, which is a completely different segment. Right. And so in boutique fitness, it's like, all right, most things in boutique are class-based, which means, okay, there's 20 to 25 people getting sweaty and that can be Pilates, spinning, Orange Theory, F45, boot camps. I mean, there's a million of them, right? And th I'm, I'm really speaking at this through the lens of the consumer. It's 20 people getting sweaty. And so it looks very similar, right? And you see the popularity of things in these densely urban populated areas like uh, class pass, right? Where you buy one class pass right. mm -hmm. and you just sort of cherry pick a different workout every day, right? It's like, okay, so there's a bunch there and in more coming. I think there's just a ton of class-based concepts. And on the other end of the spectrum in boutique fitness, there's one-on-one -on -one training. And one-on-one -on -one training is just not a great business model because it's expensive to pay. You know, if you got to have a coach for every client, it's not a great business model. And then it's also really expensive for the consumer. So it even mm -hmm. limits even more so where you can put it. But right in between those two is kind of a sweet spot. So we attack the same customer avatar as personal training brands, which is 45 to 65-year-old people with money, right? Um, and then, but we do it with a good value proposition to that person. So if someone is looking for personal training, which is why we put it on the front, or there's typically pricing anchors and service anchors that go along with that, right? Mm -hmm. And if you come in and say, again, in a market where they might have worked with the trainer and paid $80 an hour, you can do it for 30, right? It's a great value. Now, it's still three or 400 bucks a month. So it's certainly not a great value to someone who would join Planet Fitness. Totally different customer avatar. Right. And so when you talk about like, what did we need to put that together? You start out with like, who is our customer? That affects real estate choices, right? Like, where are we going to put this thing? And we have like this seven layer process to finding a good re retail location. You know, who are the co-tenants? What are the shopping habits? What are the traffic patterns, right? Average income, you know, average age, all these things go into finding these perfect spots. And then it goes into, you know, marketing. Okay. What kind of creative are we using? Not only language, but pictures and videos. And what do those feel like? Does that target the right customer? Mm -hmm. Right. And then it goes into, okay, training itself. So how do we train people? And we use really high-end, you know, training tools like the FMS, right? And you mentioned mm -hmm. like, you know, you, you do strong first and we have a lot of kettlebell stuff in ours mm -hmm. as well. Um, but it's just the things that are applicable at scale, right? And so literally everything in the franchise is systemized from our, the person we're targeting. And then that affects everything and all the way through to the programming and then the technology, right? So imagine like having an induction process where you have these algorithms where, mm -hmm. you know, we're using like an FMS as an example. And a lot of tools will work for this. We just like with these guys. And we actually partner with Gray and Lee to build an adult version that we score in our apps. The client can also see oh, no way. their That's movement awesome. improvement yeah. over time. Yeah. So imagine a client being able to look on their version of the, the customer facing side of the app and see that their movement is craft is improving yeah. over time. Because in our crowd, 45 to 65, it's about, again, you want to look good. Yeah, but it's usually not six-pack abs. It's normally like, I want to be able to golf three days a week without my back hurting. Or I want to go hiking in the Alps and do back-to-back -back days, right? My knee bugs me a little bit. Right. As you know, if you get a little older, it's like, you know, you're going to have some chinks in your armor. So now we can use all these high-end tools 
um, you know, that are all scored and we use this technology to then scale it. So all that, put it in the right place, pick the right customer, have the right induction process, and then have a program and a communication tool for coaches where they can just connect dots, which makes them scalable, right? So now, you know, like as an example, we have a franchisee who's in uh, Montana. He lives in Butte and we did the demographics on Butte and it wasn't a great market for Alloway. It just wasn't. But Billings, Montana was, right? Well, that's a three hour drive at 80 miles an hour from where he's located. But he was able to use our talent acquisition vendor, find someone in that you know, to, to, as an operator. So he mm-hmm. still lives three hours away, hires an operator, right? And then we have a, a dead set pre-sale playbook and everything all bolted together for them already. They're only a few weeks in and they're half sold out. I mean, this model wow. only holds a healthy model is like 130 members. They're mm-hmm. over halfway there in, you know, in a few weeks. So they'll yeah. probably open it with a full gym, which is kind of what we're seeing you know, so far in the franchise, which is great. So it's, re- it's really like a, a really long winded answer, but it's mm-hmm. everything, right? It's all of those things bolted together mm-hmm. that all are, and they're all, all important to each other. You can imagine yeah. if you didn't put it in the right place, you're not going to attract the right customer. Mm-hmm. The marketing's going to fall flat. You know, it's just yeah. all these things have to work together. Including the programming, delivery of the programming, and all the uh, the retention tools. Now, one thing that we claim in our franchise documents is a ninety seven percent monthly retention. That means we're only losing three percent a month. So you can imagine a model that had one hundred and thirty clients or members. Mm-hmm. That's like three and a half people, you know, a month. You can literally whisper to the, your existing clientele that you have some spots open, yeah. and backfill them with referrals, right? So it's like you you then are actually in the fitness business. A lot of fitness concepts are there's so mm-hmm. much churn you're actually in the marketing and sales business and you happen to service it with fitness, right? We're kind of the opposite of that, which I think if you're into fitness, it's kind of nice to hear that you actually get to be in the fitness business. Right. So yeah, it's, um, it's a loaded, it's a loaded question and I could Mm -hmm. probably spend way too much time and probably already have answering it, but it's Mm -hmm. any and all things, Mike, it really is. And they all count. Right. Well, that's, I mean, huge, just the retention side of it. Cause I know, I mean, the average person usually in that gets into some sort of program is somewhere around three to six months usually for there. So um, so you know. in class-based concepts, this will be just some interesting stats for your yeah. audience, but in class-based concepts, the average stay is three to seven months. Mm-hmm. So if you took a, a median app, so it's like, let's say five months is the average stay in a class-based concept. And you'd be like, well, why is that? Well, we just mentioned it. There's 500 other things in market that look very similar. So when the new thing comes to town, I'll just jump over there for a minute or I'll jump mm-hmm. over here. The average price point for class-based concepts nationally is 129 bucks a month. So if you, and these are the questions as coaches, if you're looking to get into your own business, you should really be looking at is like, you know, you want to run boot camps, great, but you're going to be up against a lot of things that look similar and the lifetime value of a customer, right? So how, how long do they stay and how much do they pay in that class-based concept, you know, $129, which is the national average times five months, which is the national average is like 650 bucks. Not bad, but I'll tell you like in a personal training brand like ours, they're staying three years at $300 a month. That's over $10,000. And I will tell you that the acquisition cost for those two customers is exactly the same. So it's a rhetorical question, but like, which customers do you want, right? Do you want the person who stays for five months and, and pays a decent amount? Yeah. Or do you want the customer that stays for three years? You know, yeah. so that's, yeah. I mean, it's an easy answer. It really is. Well, well, and the person who's investing that much money, I mean, not only are they getting a better result, they're more engaged in it too, but also on the coaching side of it as well. Like that was something I talked with my friend Artemis about um, when we I had her on the podcast about knowing your worth. It's like, it's not just about 
when somebody invests in a coach or a program that they're more engaged in it, but also the coach, when you're, when somebody's paying you more money and they're investing more, you're going to be on your game more too. Cause if someone's paying you 10 bucks a month at planet fitness at the front desk, like, I'm sorry, but you know, the person's not going to be as engaged in their job of making sure everything's getting down and getting done. Somebody who's investing a few hundred dollars a month on there in a group program, you're going to more splash some water on your face and make sure that you're putting your A game together. Yeah. And, and not only that, I mean, that's sort of the brand expectation, right? Yeah. You can set up systems that, that again, we talked about like the seven core tenets of a great session and you can then measure those things, right? And those are soft touch things that can be systemized and measured. So you can make sure you're meeting that high service standard. Um, but I think, you know, even more importantly is the fact that when people pay more, um, you know, it, it's on their radar, right? Which sounds kind of silly, but it's disturbing enough to have them show up. So, you know, the, the rub on maybe the $10 a month model in fitness is that like, oh, they have 10,000 members. If they all showed up in one day, they'd never fit in the room, blah, blah, blah. And that's true. And I would say that I've met a lot of those guys who are very successful. They don't really have, they don't want their members to not show up, but it is kind of set up that way, right? You're right. 10,000 people can't show up to a 15,000 square foot gym all mm-hmm. in one day. It's never going to work. And so with, and you look at that, it's like, it's kind of based on that in some ways, meaning I'll keep a $9 a month membership just to tell myself that, Hey, come Monday, I'll get back on it. Cause there's always a chance, right? right. So you're saying there's a chance, <laughs> that kind of thing. But if you're spending 400 bucks a month or 300 bucks a month or whatever that is, if you're not using that, it's going to disturb you, right? Uh, big time. And so in a lot of ways, by upping the price threshold, certainly to the, to the type of client that has the money, right? Three or 400 bucks a month is not a lot of money to someone who, you know, is doing well financially, certainly in that age bracket. Mm -hmm. So you need to charge enough to make them pay attention, honestly. I mean, I can remember having uh, discussions, you know, or our director having discussions with clients when they were canceling over and over again. Um, You know, we would be charging them for sessions, even though we're in a small group. We don't run like a class. You know, to us, we joke like that's a C word. That's a dirty word. It's a session just like personal training. So mm-hmm. I'm expecting you to show up. You're one of six people, but you're important to me. And if you don't show up, I'm charging you first of all. So there's that, there's the stick, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the carrot. I'll reach out to you after the, se- the, the shift and be mm-hmm. like, Hey, where were you? I missed you today. And by the way, the other five people that see you three days a week, they're also reaching out to you being like, Hey, what the hell, you know, where'd you, exactly. where'd you go? Mm-hmm. So there's all this accountability, right? Well, I can distinctly remember um, having a customer that canceled multiple times and we charge them for a bunch of sessions, you know, and they want, you know, it's the same old thing. Like, oh, why don't those roll over to the next month? I'm like, because you've only worked out three times, right? So the person wanted to sit down and say, I want to talk about this. And they were upset. It's like, okay, great. And they came in and it's like the conversation went the way of like, all right, we're going to go on offense first. So I said, listen, before we get started on the transactional part of our relationship, where have you been? Like when we sat down the first time and you looked me in the eye, I was your coach. You committed to me that you would be coming to this gym you know, 12 times a month, you're literally averaging four times a month over the last few months. Where, what, what's going on? Like what's happening to you right now? And it went from like, I'm upset about my price, you know, and like, they can't believe I'm not using these sessions to like, why are you not showing up? And again, you take it from transactional to personal, it's personal training. Right. Mm -hmm. And then by the time it was over, the discussion was like, well, apparently, you know, that you're being charged and this, this, you know, $30 a session or 35 is apparently not enough to upset you enough to show up to the gym. So why don't we change that threshold? You tell me what I need to charge you to show up in the mornings. Is it a thousand dollars? 
I will charge you $5,000 every time you don't show up if you want me to. I'll give it all to charity. I don't even care. It's not a money grab for me. You tell me how painful it needs to be to get you to show up here. Mm-hmm. And that same individual who was very upset right before they came in and wanted to talk about you know, why they were being charged, completely changed their tune and wrote this amazingly uh, you know, inspirational letter about how much we cared and they understood mm-hmm. it now and they're not going to be missing anymore. And lo and behold, this person went on to show up three days a week, lost weight, got off their diabetic medication, all the things that they wanted to happen, happened. But it all stemmed from a really hard conversation sitting in that seat as a coach saying, I'm I'm not talking about money with you right now. You tell me why you're not showing up to this gym. And if it is about money with you, how much do I need to charge you to make you show up? You you name the number. Is it $5 million? What is it? Right. You tell me. And I'm serious. And I literally was serious. Right. And Mm -hmm. the individual was just like, okay, I get it. My bad. And so, you know, you, it's not always about like to the coach, they get upset, you know, they get, they get worried about the money and those conversations always keep it about the client's goals. And if that's their best interest is, is top of mind for you, you can move mountains. You really can. And and money's just a side. It's just a, it's a literally a mechanism. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, just like you mentioned, it's not only a mechanism for you to make money in your business to help more people, but it's also a threshold that will get people's attention to have them actually show up. So, wow, lo and behold, your pricing structure could literally help you get clients in shape. If you price it too low and you do some unlimited membership at $159 and you should be at $300 mm-hmm. and people aren't showing up, it could be your own fault. You're actually making less money and you're doing a disservice to your customers yeah. because you're undercharging. So there's so many ways to spin this that aren't bullshit. I mean, they're real, they're real phenomena, Mm -hmm. you know? That's yeah. That's such a great story. Um, I just, there's so many nuggets on that that you can take out of from there. Cause so many people, especially people have been young in this business for a while who are, you know, so worried about, you know, the money side of it and the transaction side, you know, of it, where if you focus on the transformation part of it, you know, somebody, instead of transaction, make it the transformation then that's what we're all trying to do. You know, it's like nobody, I don't think anybody gets into the fitness business to be the next billion dollar company. You know, it's not that type of industry right. in here. Everybody cares about the people that they're working with and you just keep the focus on that. I think that's just, you know, the best way to- Yeah, and I mean, listen, to- you can make a lot of money in fitness. There's no yeah. doubt. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. You deserve mm-hmm. it if you're changing lives. It's a noble thing to do. You should get paid well. But if you think about your pricing structure and your adherence to a high threshold- Mm-hmm. as a tool and a mechanism to help more people get in shape. I think as a, if you're coming in from it right now, certainly if you're in the trenches as a coach and you're looking at making some of these changes, that should be a compelling enough reason right there. If you just are doing it for your customer, it mm-hmm. sounds silly. Like I'm doing this for you, but I'm raising your rates. But hey, if it gets them to show up, you are doing it for them. Absolutely. It, what it, what makes them, what's the painful amount that's going to make them show up so they right. do the things, well, you, do the that, things that they want to like, do, right? But they but they don't know how to do. It's like, that's the, right. that's the goal. Well, and you've probably heard the saying is like, like, you don't have to tell me what's important to you. Just show me your checkbook and I'll tell you what's important to you. Yeah. Same thing, right? Mm. So part of it is like, all right, well, raise that threshold so that it has to become important to them. They're going to be like, look, I'm not spending 400 bucks a month and not showing up. Right. And it's painful to lose a session at that price, whatever those things are like, that's the way you should look at it. That's also Mike, why we do month to month memberships now, you know, forever we sold annual agreements and we were big proponents of that. And then as everything in everyone else's life went to month to month, whether it was like subscription, you know, Netflix, things like that. It's like, all right, that's the way people are buying things. Now let's get away from these, you know, Mm -hmm these uh, contracts, if you will. And we've seen absolutely zero increase in our churn rate. So it has not affected our retention at all. And what's really cool is we have one conversation at one point in time about money 
and that's it. And it's prescriptive. It's like, listen, our most successful clients do this. This is what I'd recommend. You know, we can do it for as little as thirty dollars a session. Right. You know, fair enough. And they're like, yeah, great. You're like, mm-hmm. cool. That's it. You never have another conversation about money. If you're on an annual membership, you have to do the renewals, right? We did those as well. Oh, six months. Some people are like, do you do a three, six, 12 month? I'm like, no, it's too many choices. And too many choices make people not buy anything at all. So it's good, better, best. It's one, two, three times a week, all month a month. I have one conversation ever about money. And I never talk about money again. It's always mm-hmm. about clients and their goals. Even if it's, even if they bring up, you know, the money, it's not about that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's literally about their goals. And exactly. then you can never talk about money again. So as a coach, like it's the best structure ever, mm-hmm. right? Only talk about yeah. money once. I love that because so many people, you would hear that and be like, everything has to be on an annual and on a contract. And so many people, I think, have had so many bad experiences from doing that. I, I mean, I, I tell you a million stories from that off the air on that one, but it's not. Yeah, well, and yeah. even like packages yeah. of sessions, like who likes <laughs> telling someone that they bought a 10 pack, but is actually, they're actually two behind because they late canceled twice and blah, blah, blah. It's yeah. like you're taking we always say never take the the relationship transactional have one prescriptive conversation put a price on it make sure it's a threshold that'll disturb them enough to show up and then just make it go away it's not about the money anymore like great fair enough yeah fair yes. enough great your handshake dim fist pump whatever good all right well let's get on to getting you to your goals period and that's all we ever talk about from that point on mm-hmm. so that's one simple structural change can take away a lot of those like Again, re-upping sessions or re-upping an annual agreement or transitioning from a three-month to a you know continuity program long-term and all that stuff that just gets really hairy. I don't want to have those conversations. I just mm-hmm. want to talk to people about their goals and yeah. going month to month and having one conversation allows you to do that. It's perfect. Awesome. Uh, Rick, this has been great. This time flew by with you, man. I'm telling you. So <laughs> I talked. Um, to, that's because I yeah. talked to you to death. You had five points. We only got through two or three. Oh, maybe. it's the oh, it's the no. That's always how it goes. You know, you bullet point yeah. out, and then you figure out how to, and then you know, we'll we'll catch the next one, and we'll just go from there. So, um, Rick, if, if people want to, uh, if people want to find out more about Alloy, about franchising stuff, what's the best place to direct them? Yeah, alloyfranchise.com. It's that simple. So go there if you need any help or you have any questions at all. You can fill out the form there. I'll be happy to follow up and I'm all over social media. So you can find me Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, like not Snapchat, uh, TikTok. Yep. Yeah. Forget about Snapchat. So, <laughs> yeah, That's too Perfect. much, but yeah, I mean, we're all over social media everywhere. I am personally, as well as our business. So go yep. check out, we have a ton of content. We do our own blog or I'm sorry, our own podcast, by yep. the way, which is just specific to the business of personal training. So it's called Alloy Personal Training Business Podcast. So I think we've done 120 or so of those. So we get really in the weeds of pricing structures and just different concepts or whatnot. So if you're into that, check it out. But yeah, man, um, that's it. Yeah, man. Well, it's it's great connecting with you. Um, Like I said, I've learned so much from you from afar over the the past in my career. So it's great to go face to face and and connect here. Um, Listeners, thank you so much for connecting. If you want to learn more about Rick and about Alloy Franchises, you know where to do that. And we will see you on the next one. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I hope you came away with great stories and insights that you can use to create more strength and success in your life. Remember now, for a time, you can grab a free copy of the One Day Strength Challenge, the playbook that incorporates proven strength aerobics training along with the skill of intuition to help you create, design, and achieve your perfect training plan that fits around your busy schedule. Just go to www.thebreakthroughsecrets.com and grab your free copy today. It's your life. Make it the strongest possible. Catch you guys later.